the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. News. WTBN. Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Secondly, when you realize this, then you repent. Then you repent of your sinful pride. It's repentance means turning away, changing your mind, forsaking your sin. Recognize it. It's me. It's not them. It's me. I have to swallow my pride and realize I'm not as important as I as I think that I am. William Penn once said that whoever is in the wrong is the first to get angry. That may not be a universal law, but it is a useful proverb. It's purely because of pride that no one likes to be proven wrong. And when our pride takes a hit, we are likely to return the hit, sometimes even physically. In fact, we would be hard-pressed to think of a sin that does not have pride at its root. I'm glad you could join us today for Verse by Verse and the conclusion of Pastor Steve Kreloff's three-part message about the Sixth Commandment. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. God's commands each have two sides, one expressed and the other implied. The Sixth Commandment forbids murder. In the past two classes, we learned that in God's eyes, murder is not just the physical taking of human life, but it is also the attitudes that, if left unchecked, would lead us to murder. God expressly forbids murder, but what is the positive virtue of this commandment? In other words, what inverse actions or attitudes does this commandment imply that we engage in? Before we look at that, Pastor Steve wants to finish teaching on the attitudes and emotions that God considers the same as murder. Jesus said in Matthew 5.22, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Now let's resume our lesson right there. Now, let me explain. The expression, you good for nothing, sometimes it may be translated in your Bibles as raka. Raka is an Aramaic word, uh, similar to Hebrew, Aramaic word that was used as an expression of contempt. It was an insult. It meant you idiot, you empty-headed fool. You, we would say you numbskull, you blockhead. That, that's the thought here. Oftentimes when people said that, they had such contempt they would spit in your face when they said that. didn't always have to be that, but the term was, was used to demean someone's intelligence. It was said with disgust and disdain towards an individual. Now, if you still think that you're innocent of murder, then think again. Have you ever called somebody a fool, a stupid idiot? Maybe you did that when, you were, when, when they were driving too slow in your lane. Or they cut you off while you were driving and you said, you idiot, what do you think you're doing? Or words to that effect. And maybe that's tame based on what you said. John Stott explained it this way in his book on the Sermon on the Mount. He said, 
Anger and insult are ugly symptoms of a desire to get rid of somebody who stands in our way. Our thoughts, looks, and words all indicate that as we sometimes dare to say, we wish he were dead. Such an evil wish is a breach of the sixth commandment. So our Lord is not simply saying that, hey, if you've had to have said those words and and then you're guilty. Just the very attitude. Because out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. Murders in our hearts. Jesus said that anyone who called someone an empty-headed fool or words to that effect shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court was the Jewish Sanhedrin, the ruling council in Israel, which had the authority to stone someone to death. But more than that, Jesus is teaching that those who slander and insult other people by referring to them with hate-filled expressions deserve not only to, to die as murderers because they've committed character assassination, but it goes beyond that. He's talking about judgment, divine judgment, not just capital punishment. That's why the last phrase he speaks about, if you call someone a fool, you're guilty enough to be thrown into the fires of hell. Those who hurl venomous insults at people are guilty enough to be sent to hell. You know what, folks? That's all of us, every single one of us, guilty before holy God. It is a serious sin to speak evil and even to, to have uh, an attitude, whether you speak it or not, an evil attitude towards other people because the anger that, that we have comes from murderous hearts, murderous hearts. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, out of the heart proceed murders. They do. So when you think about the sins of suicide and abortion and euthanasia and homicide, keep in mind that you also have committed murder in your heart. Hidden murder, but murder nonetheless, and therefore you deserve divine judgment. I deserve divine judgment. So if God, and follow this, if God condemns angry thoughts and attitudes as murder, then then what can we do to avoid this? What can we do? How can we have victory over anger? How can we have victory over our temper? How can we have victory over attitudes, those hidden murders of the heart? Well, that brings us to our third question about the sixth commandment. What, number one, was what actions does this sixth commandment forbid? It forbids the action of literal murder. But it goes beyond that. What attitudes does the sixth commandment condemn? It condemns the attitudes of anger and the insults that come from it. Number three, what positive virtue does this commandment encourage? If anger in our hearts constitutes murder, then the opposite would be love and forgiveness towards others. Those would be the positive virtues that we need to cultivate cultivate in obedience to the sixth commandment. As I told you before, whenever there's a negative prohibition in the Ten Commandments, it is always implied that there is a positive, positive implication, a positive truth. So if the sixth commandment says you shall not murder, then the positive implication of that is that we should value all human life as sacred. All human life is sacred. That's why we must be opposed to all killing done by abortion and suicide and euthanasia and anything else that demeans or devalues human life. We have to be opposed to that. We have to be in favor of what God says. However, that's as far as most Christians want to go. In fact, it is ironic and and really hypocritical for those Christians who oppose abortion to be mean and nasty to those who are in favor of it. 
That, that is really hypocritical. That's exactly what they're doing. We oppose the taking of life because that life was in the image of God, but we're going to yell at you and really be mean to you and insult you who have been made in the image of God. So let's take it a little bit further. By the very spirit and moral intent of, the, of this commandment, it pushes us to see beyond the literal taking of, of human life. That's a given. We ought to be opposed to that, but there's more. Our Lord's words in Matthew 5 teach us that we ought to be just as concerned about showing respect and kindness in the way we treat and speak to others as we do about physical murder. Most of us don't think of it that way. In reference to this, James chapter 3, just take note of this, mark this down. James chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, really, really nail us on this. This is so good. James says this, he's talking about the tongue or the, the speech, our, our way of talking He says, with it, meaning with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. Isn't that true? That's what we've been doing this morning. As Michael has led us, we've blessed the Lord. We've praised him. And well, we should have. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. That's exactly what Genesis 9 said. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. And James says, my brethren, these things ought not to be. No kidding, of course they ought not to be. James is calling us not to be hypocritical and extremely inconsistent in the way we speak to God and to, and to people. It's really, it's really, folks, a contradiction of our faith to praise God, but at the same time curse men who have been made in the image of God. It is a contradiction of our faith. That's really the whole point of the Sixth Commandment. Since man has been created in God's image, stamped inwardly, we are not allowed to physically or spiritually murder or abuse him in any way. That is what the sixth commandment is really dealing with. So, if we know that, how then do we cultivate the right attitudes so that we would demonstrate love, that we would not explode in anger, that we would put value and respect upon human life? Let me offer some biblical truths to to help, practical truths on this, okay? I'd encourage you to write this down. First of all, number one, begin to see people as God sees them. Begin to look at people from a biblical standpoint, not as people who get in your way or who bother you or who keep you from from getting what you want to get, but begin to see people as those created in his image. Even people you don't like, even people who are nasty, even people who are impatient with you, they are still created in God's image. As I said before, that image has fallen, it is tainted, but it is still there. And each individual ought to be seen as a unique creation of God. And they will exist eternally. They will exist either in heaven forever or in hell forever. But they still possess the image of God. So treat, treat people with dignity. That's a new way of looking at it. But that is the biblical way. Treat them with the dignity that God gave them as those made in his image. And when you speak to people, keep in mind that God not only made them, but in making them, he stamped his very likeness upon them. Show them that that respect. Secondly, learn how to deal with the sin of anger that attacks others. You know how you deal with it? You understand what the root of of anger is. Now, we're talking not about righteous anger. We're talking about sinful anger. Let me tell you what the root of, of all anger is that's sinful. Ready? It's pride. It's pride. It's sinful pride, thinking that we are more significant than we really are, that we deserve better. Do they know who I am, that they would speak to me that way, that they would get in my way and my lane? 
Do they understand that I am important? I have to be somewhere? Do they understand that's my parking spot? We consider ourselves so important and deserving of getting what we want that when someone gets in our way and keeps us from getting our own way, we get angry with them. I challenge you to evaluate every time you get angry if it, has, if it goes back to the root of pride, thinking you deserve better. Let me tell you, biblically, all we deserve is hell. All we, every, anything you've gotten other than that is God's pure grace and mercy. So you know, normally we like to think things like, well, uh, why is this person die? Why does this judgment happen? Why? The, the question is, why do any of us live? We think we deserve to even live. Nobody deserves to live. That's, that's all a gift from God. Everything is mercy and grace in this life. So it comes back to this attitude. We get angry because we think we deserve better. And when someone gets in our way that hinders us from getting what we think is coming to us, what we want to come to us, we get angry at them. James, let's look this up, James chapter 4. I mentioned James 3 before, but James chapter 4. James is a great book. He's real blunt. It's the Proverbs of the New Testament, uh, pithy little sayings. Uh, James was a guy who was fed up with religious hypocrisy. As someone said, James is about this. If you have the root, meaning Christ in you, then let's see the fruit. And that's what James is about. If you really have true faith, then let it be demonstrated in your life. Notice what he says in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? That's a great question. Where did it come from? What's the, why do we get so angry? Why do we fight people? Why do, we, why do we get so upset? He says, it's not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members. He's talking about what you desire. You want something, you don't get it, you fight. That's exactly what verse 2 says. You lust, and he's not talking about sexual lust here. He's just talking about that craving, that desire to have whatever we want. And you do not have, so you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. James reveals that the source of murder and the quarrels that lead to those murders is our desire to get our own way. When we don't get our own way, we get angry and we commit character assassination. And if allowed to develop, it would lead to physical assassination. It's exactly what we've been saying. So if that's the case, then how do we deal then with our anger? Some people have explosive anger. Some people do a slow burn. Regardless of it, it's anger. How do, we, how do we deal with it? First of all, recognize the source of your anger is pride. And the reason that's so important is because when you recognize it, you can deal with it. It's not somebody else's fault. If you really believe that God is sovereign, then you know there are no accidents in your life. So if somebody cuts you off or somebody gets in your way or somebody does something that you don't like, God has ordained that for our own good and our own, uh, his own good purpose to develop our character. So recognize that the source of your anger is your pride. It's not someone else's fault. They didn't make you get angry. You chose to because you responded that way. It's not someone else's behavior. It's you. Secondly, when you realize this, then you repent. Then you repent of your sinful pride. It's, it's, Repentance means turning away, changing your mind, forsaking your sin. Recognize it. It's me. It's not them. It's me. And I have to swallow my pride and realize I'm not as important as I, as I think that I am. And then thirdly, do something about your anger. Now, what can you do? Well, the Bible tells us what to do. And that's where the Apostle Paul's teaching in Ephesians 4 comes in. And so I'd like you to turn there. Ephesians chapter 4. 
Ephesians chapter 4 tells us how to grow in our faith, how to deal with sinful habits, how to incorporate new godly habits. It's, it's what we would call the process of sanctification. If there's something sinful in your life, you, you don't just stop it. You replace it with a godly habit and a godly pattern. And in chapter 4, verse 31, Paul tells us what to do. He's talking to believers, just like us, who have brought these, these sins into their Christian life. And Paul said, you got to get rid of it. And here's how you do it. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Get it out of your life. Put it away. Recognize it as sin. Put it off like you would put off old clothes. Take it off and leave it off. But what do you do? You have to replace your anger with the right attitudes, the right thoughts, the right responses. That's verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, and notice this, forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. We replace sinful anger with kind deeds, tangible deeds for those who we find challenging, those who have sinned against us. And not only do we do kind deeds towards them, but Scripture says we are to forgive them in the same way that God has forgiven you, magnanimously, completely. In other words, just as God, based on Christ's death, chooses to hold none of your sins against you. So, when someone sins against you, you are to consciously choose to not hold that sin against you. That's forgiveness. And it's a conscious choice you make. It's not based on a feeling. If I forgave people only when I felt like it, I'd never forgive anybody. We choose to forgive. And you know what helps us? To remind yourself how much you've been forgiven. Anyone who says, yes, I've been forgiven in Christ, but I will definitely not forgive anybody else. You have to wonder, have they really been forgiven? When you consider how much we have sinned against the Lord, millions, trillions, zillions, I can't even count that high. When you consider how much we have sinned against God and he has forgiven us everything in Jesus Christ, how can we hold anything against an individual who has sinned against us? Regardless of the nature of the sin, regardless of how bad it was, it can't be any worse than what we've done towards God. That's the key to forgiveness. That's what it's about, folks. That's what it's about. If we are to obey this commandment to not murder, then we must obey in attitude as well as action. We are all guilty before God. That's why the purpose of the law, one of the purposes, is to be like a mirror to say, here's the way you really are. You're not good. You can't use these commandments to get to heaven. These commandments reveal that unless you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're not going to heaven. They reveal that we're sinful. We're fallen. We're depraved. If given the right set of circumstances, we would murder someone. And even if we didn't physically take their life, we would slander them and insult them and hate them. Some of you have held grudges for years. You need to repent of that. You need to get that straightened out today. You need to forgive people. Some of us have lived like that so long, you think that's the normal way of life. It is not the normal way of life. It is abnormal. It is sinful. And it needs to be repented of. Let's bow for prayer and consider what we need to do in addition to asking, asking the Lord to forgive us for our animosity. You recognize this morning that pride is the root of your sinful anger. Don't blame other people. Don't blame a lack of sleep 
That's just my disposition. That's the way I was raised. Well, that's unacceptable. It's pride. It's pride. Recognize your pride. Recognize that God brings all of these situations into your life to break you of that pride, to keep showing you the truth of pride. And God wants you to be humble. He is conforming you to the image of his son. So don't, don't keep fighting that and fighting people. You need to forgive. You've been so forgiven in Christ. And if you've never been forgiven in Christ, you can. Because instead of feeling very comfortable with the sixth commandment, you may feel this morning very guilty. But there is a remedy for guilt. It, it is the salvation that God offers you in Christ. All of us are guilty of murder in our hearts. But there is forgiveness even for the horrible crime of murder. Because Jesus not only perfectly fulfilled all the law by his obedience to it, but he also paid the price of the sinner's guilt. And he offers a simple exchange for those willing to turn from their sin and trust him alone as their Lord and Savior. He imputes to them the merit of his obedience. We we call it imputed righteousness. And he takes away the guilt of their sin. He bore that guilt when he died on the cross and was punished for that guilt. And folks, he offers you righteousness. Righteousness on your account and forgiveness of all of your sin. See, it's in this way that he makes it possible for murderers like us to be forgiven. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I urge you to do that today. Now, if statistics tell us anything, it would be very reasonable to say there probably are some here, some women who feel very guilty this morning because you have had an abortion. And I want to tell you, if you know Christ and you've had an abortion, there is mercy and grace with him. You can't go back. You can't change things. But you can make sure that you accept God's forgiveness. If you know Christ, then you don't need to forgive yourself. That's not a biblical expression. You need to believe that God has forgiven you. You confess your sin He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. If you're not a believer, then you need to come to him. You need to recognize that you have committed murder, physical as well as spiritual. And there is mercy and grace with Jesus Christ. I'll give you a few moments to think and pray about this and then I'll close. Father, thank you for the grace of God. Thank you that commandment that is so piercing so ripping, so convicting, also leads us as a tutor, as a teacher, as someone who has trained us to see that we need Jesus Christ. Lord, we need your mercy, we need your grace, because we're guilty. Thank you for, for all those here who have come to faith because you've worked in their hearts. But for those, Lord, who are not believers, I ask you to draw them. Draw them to yourself that they may see the remedy for guilt. Lord, for those believers who might be struggling with guilt now, I pray you'll work in their hearts that they would believe what your word has to say. If we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and to thank you for that and to rest upon your word, to believe our beliefs and to know the joy that comes with obedience to you. So, Father, we pray you'll take your word, apply it to our lives long after the service is over. May these truths work in us. May we treat people with respect, with dignity, uh, because they have been created in your image. We pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Frederick Buchner once said that of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come, 
to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. I'm glad that God has given us a way to escape those feelings that would consume us from the inside out. I want to thank you for listening. This is Verse by Verse, and our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. The daily radio Bible classes are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. We are on the web at versebyverseradio.org. If you would like to order a CD or a cassette with the entire message that Pastor Steve just concluded, please call us at 727-239-0306. Adhesive tape works best the first time you use it. Every time you move it to another surface, it loses some of its stickiness until it will no longer stick to anything. God intends for our marriage bonds to be as strong as possible. That is just one reason why he stresses fidelity and purity. We will look at the seventh commandment on the next verse by verse. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse. If you're concerned about three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.